Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Here Comes a Thought podcast, the podcast where we talk about Steven Universe and the psychological themes within it. I am Jan Ramos, and I am accompanied by professional guy under my supervision, Mark Quiris. Hey. And uh, professional sword fighter, Kat Laforgia. <laughs> Hi, y'all. And I'm a professional sword fighter now? Yeah. You are, and Mark is a guy under my supervision. He's limited edition, and nobody else has him. Oh, wow. Well, we all knew that about about Mark, but I didn't... Okay, Wait, well, so, so I am I a Ranger guy? <gasps> You're better than Ranger guy. Ranger guy oh. is in limited edition. Snap. Is yeah. it Ra- I thought Ranger guy was limited edition. No, he's just really rare. Oh, okay. All right. Well... So today you, you we're gave talk- away you gave away my secret identity though. Yeah, sorry. I may have to kill you. We'll do it another day. Okay. Okay. <laughs> He's okay with it. It's fine. Yeah, it's we fine. can schedule that for later. Yeah. All right. As long as we have it scheduled for another day. All right. So today <laughs> we're talking about onion trade and Stephen the sword fighter. So episodes fifteen and sixteen. If you're following along. And who'd like to start off with Onion Trade? Should I just go right into the synopsis? Yeah, I thought you were the synopsis guy. Synopsis yeah. guy. Uh, all right. <laughs> so to kind of give a, a, a the the synopsis here of uh, un, uh, Onion, what is what is it called again? Onion Trade. Onion Trade. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so Stephen is looking for his guy, which we learn is uh, a toy. It's a bunch. It's a bunch of action figures, and the full name is "Guys Under Your Supervision," and he's missing his ranger guy, which is this uh, really rare guy that um, I guess is Steven's favorite. So the whole episode is him trying to get his ranger guy back, and about a few minutes into the episode, after a lot of failed attempts of trying to re-get ranger guy, he realizes that Onion has a ranger guy. So he tries to uh, trade Onion with all his Dave guys, in which case his only real accessory is taxes, which I find kind of interesting. (laughs) Dave guy. Uh, And so he goes to the gems to try to figure out what to do, and Amethyst pulls out this replicator wand that she said she found while looking for one of Pearl's swords in her pile of junk in her room. So, instead of doing the smart thing and asking Onion to see Ranger Guy and simply duplicating Ranger Guy, he then decides to clone all of his Dave guys and just sends a barrage of them over at Onion, to which Onion, who realizes that this is the replicator wand, wants the replicator wand, and Steven, of course, gives it to him. Just for the ranger guy. And then once he finally gets his ranger guy back, he's bored of it. He realizes it wasn't so as special or as fun as he thought it was. And then, of course, Onion causes mayhem with the replicator wand. And now Steven and the gems have to get it back from him. There you go. So for this episode, there's there wasn't a lot of psychological themes unless we start sort of thinking about Onion. And we had a few sort of 
Onion is pretty weird in this episode, right? Yes, Onion. Onion. So Onion has a lot of uh, symptoms of a child who is being sort of neglected, and and I was just looking at your notes saying that like so. So again, I love your notes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I was just looking at your notes saying that when you read the wiki, it said something about like his stuff is all um, a grab for attention. So when when I get called in to see families, a lot of the behaviors that may be deemed uh, a symptom of whatever diagnosis my client may have um, a lot of it is what we call negative attention-seeking behavior. So it's just behavior that they utilize to seek attention in any way, shape, shape uh, and form they can do it. And a lot of times parents will sort of not catch the thousand times they do something right, but will catch that one time they do something wrong. So if they see that their parents are only paying attention to them when they do something wrong, well, they do something wrong all the time. Um but usually, again, so when I get a client and I when I get a family, um, because when I get called in, it's for family therapy. It's not for individual therapy. Um, but I do have one person as my designated client. Um, when I get called in, yes, they are a lot of so there's a lot of criteria that we can say um, onion and just based on this episode alone um could meet some type of diagnosis yeah and does that I make think, sense that, did yeah. that make sense because for me my brain just said Neh. so we found that he sort of could fit into a few boxes of what we call psychiatric diagnoses and you know obviously and this is for information and entertainment purposes only but um, it, it's sort of a, a good exercise to sort of use these characters and sort of talk about what their underlying issues might be. But obviously, you need to sort of interview them and, you know, put them through a process that it, you won't get in a TV show like this one, right? Oh, of course. I yeah, I, 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 I was just going to say that you know, I, I feel like what we're more so going to try and do here with this episode in particular is just take a look at a few of um, some disorders or uh, that are found in the DSM here. And what we're going to do is just simply kind of talk about them, brush up on them, uh, talk about their criteria, and I guess in a way just see if Onion kind of fits into any of these criteria just to see if there's a possibility of what Onion could be diagnosed with if onion where to go and get evaluated and of course um we are not your therapists um so if you feel you may have some of these symptoms or have a loved one who are displaying some of these symptoms please go get help this is just for fun and educational purposes only we are not diagnosing you we don't even know you but i had to say that just full disclaimer and I have nothing to do with my job when it comes to this, so <laughs> so if you don't like something I say, it has nothing to do with my job whatsoever. It's just my personal opinion. Okay, so we had a few diagnoses that we sort of played around with and when I was making my notes, and so 
I'm just going to sort of say them all, and then you guys can sort of pick up which of those you might be interested in talking about, or if not, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. Yes, sir. So the diagnoses that we thought up are, one, a positional defiant disorder, two, conduct disorder, three, reactive attachment disorder, four, kleptomania, and five, selective mutism. That's our differential diagnosis, which is the word for when you have many alternatives to what your patient could have. So, and with kleptomania and selective mutism, those can be what we call comorbid. So in other words, those are diagnoses that can be added on towards another diagnosis. So they don't have to be a standalone. Yeah. There's so much, they're, they're really, and just going on Onion alone and the many really negative things he does in this episode, we can get some really juicy tidbits of where we could go with the diagnoses. But the other thing is, and I want to sort of put punctuate this also, is the fact that we kind of aren't sure about Onion's birthday and how old he is. So, and a lot of these these diagnoses do mention an age range and he would fall in them. So I'm guessing he's somewhere maybe no more than five or six in these episodes. Yeah, he's definitely above age five because by age five, you should be able to ride a bicycle and he does more than that. Um, he does a wheelie. I I was able to ride ride a bike at like four without without um training wheels. Yeah. Well, you're uh, just a special snowflake. Well, <laughs> these things, I was also the, outside all the time. <laughs> yeah, and and most of these uh the these what we call milestones, they're pretty lax. You can take or give a year, yeah. give or take a year. So. And, and so the only reason why I'm going by like at like five or six is based on a future episode that we actually get to see Onion and some of his friends and they all are around that like maybe seven year old age at that point. Yeah. So that's why I was kind of like, well, maybe he's about five or six here. Um which then, if you're going by he's so young, the things he does in this episode are alarming. <laughs> yeah. So when I say that, so, yeah, in so many birthdays, he was stealing uh, the tickets from the machine. But he gets, the, and in, that's the one where he gets the, the motor scooter from, from getting all the t- tickets, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, and he throws some ketchup on the floor and he does wheelies and, like, in in the attempt to crash it and cause a huge fire yeah he yeah in this episode alone he tries to kill the crystal gems by dropping a car on them and uh uh apparently you were really upset about the fact that he threw a burger in the ocean yeah i think that's the worst i think that's the most indicative (laughs) and uh, all of these behaviors that we're seeing lock them up right now yeah (laughs) are are sort of behaviors that go against uh, rules of how people should act in society, uh, their criminal acts, and that's usually indicative of a disorder we call antisocial personality disorder, right? But that disorder is sort of reserved for adults, 
because it's a disorder in which you see a person that ever since that person was young, you've seen this pattern of criminal behavior or behavior that just, it, it doesn't seem responsive to mm-hmm. like uh, empathy or it doesn't seem to care about other people's emotions. And when you have this at a young age, we don't like to use that diagnosis because as soon as you have a personality disorder, that diagnosis pretty much sticks sticks with you with, for the rest of your life. So with children, we usually use another disorder, which is called conduct disorder. And it, it is characterized by this sort of criminal acts, which can be uh, aggression to people or animals, like hurting animals such as birds or, or small animals such as mice, stealing from people, destroying property like scooters, uh, being dece- deceitful or th- or thieving or stealing stuff like Ranger He's, guys. Yeah, he stole Ranger guy. And uh, among other things, right? Mm-hmm. And so I really think this could be one of the diagnoses that really sort of fits in with his behavior because everything he does seems intentional mm-hmm. and it you never get the idea that he feels remorse over the things that he's done. So... Um, and and I agree with that, uh, but I was thinking more of what we would ter- term reactive attachment disorder. What I like to explain to people is reactive attachment disorder, um, and if you look in the new DSM-5, the way it has been organized, I like the way where it's positioned, because it's positioned with PTSD, so in that same um, section of traumas. Um, And the reason why it was sectioned that way is because reactive attachment disorder is sort of like PTSD, but starting from infancy. Um, So where a person, as they're growing up, um, so those first, very first few days of life to first years of life, uh, a person becomes very dependent on their caregiver. If they have no active caregiver, so um, a person can be giving a baby a bottle but still not be caressing them and comforting them. The baby can still sit in their dirty diaper all day, but they still may, may be getting fed. So based on that, they're still not getting a level of comfort that they become uh, that, that's consistent enough for them to feel loved. In those situations, this is where they develop sort of a traumatic uh, attachment towards an adult. They know they can't really rely on their adult. um, And this is when we start seeing those children who have um, uh, really low emotional responses. Um, So the DSM-5 say it's a pattern of inhibited emotional withdrawal, emotionally withdrawn behavior towards adult caregivers. So in other words, they don't trust caregivers, they don't trust adults to give them what they need, so their behaviors towards them are kind of stunted, limited. Um, They rarely uh, respond to comfort when distressed, Um, minimal social or emotional responsiveness to others, limited positive affect, Um, and episodes of unexplained uh, irritability, sadness, or fearfulness that are evident even during non-threatening interactions. So, and the reason why I think of this one is just that whole situation where Onion talks to, like, waits on a pier all day for his dad to have, like, 
a couple of seconds with him. I think there's a brief hug. I honestly don't remember at this point. Yeah, he lifts him up and sort of talks in their own sort of yellowtail language. Yeah. But then he puts him down. There's not really a caress. There's no comfort. There's no hugs. There's nothing really. Um, And then he just kind of goes on his way. Um, Onion has become accustomed to that. So he doesn't feel distressed that his parents are leaving. He doesn't feel distressed that his uh, he doesn't feel overjoyed waiting for his father. Um, Usually if a kid knows daddy's coming home or mommy's coming home, they're pretty excited waiting for them to get in and onions just sitting there you know tossing burgers into the ocean so that was why i kind of went with that one um and so uh, i really think so there's two things that sort of keep me i really sort of agree with this mm -hmm. and at the end of the episode steven asks onion you know why did uh, i think i know what you did this i think it's because you miss your father and uh, you're probably just acting out and Onion sort of nods his head in agreement mm-hmm. but there's t- two things that sort of get me and it's first I think Onion does seek sort of this comfort because he did wait for his father at the pier right mm-hmm. he, he didn't completely like forget about him and just does whatever he wants he actually waits for him to come back and have those 10 seconds of whatever interaction they have. And secondly, so you could say that he's sort of doing it for to get attention or some for some form of uh of comfort from somebody else, but he, you know, he steals Ranger guy and he just keeps Ranger back, Ranger guy in his in his back pocket. You don't feel like he's really getting anything out of it, mm-hmm. but perhaps maybe the satisfaction that he stole something. And he has a history of doing a lot of things that infringe upon the law, and throwing burgers into the ocean, <laughs> which is highly concerning. <clears throat> so, you know, I mean. His name is Onion. Maybe he's a vegetarian. Oh, and maybe he's sort of protesting me yeah. by throwing it into the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that does make sense. See? Go, Onion. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, you, you did talk about, like, you did put down oppositional defiant disorder, and I kind of don't see that because he doesn't have the, um... He doesn't have the outbursts that we would normally see with ODD. Yeah. Um, his He is very emotionally stunted, very emotionally blunt. We don't really see him lose his temper. I don't think his actions are resentful or angry. Yeah. He I, doesn't argue with anybody, so there's no argue. Yeah. So a very a very like basic part of ODD or oppositional defiant disorder is that you can see their irritability you can yeah. see their anger and uh, he's mainly flat yeah so yeah i agree with you this was just a diagnosis that came up on brainstorm okay but it doesn't really fit the mold yeah that was my fault it's it's, it's okay it's okay well yeah, i well to me personally i feel like 
you know, when I'm looking at the the criteria here now, I, I can kind of see why it doesn't onion doesn't necessarily fit into this uh, specific diagnosis. Um, but at the time, um, based on what I had remembered from my classes and everything, I felt like it kind of fit in the fact that Onion doesn't really listen to anybody. He doesn't listen to, to Steven, doesn't listen really to the gems who are obviously telling him to stop when it comes to uh, duplicating everything. And instead of stopping duplicating the Dave guys, he simply just uh, duplicates uh, full-sized cars and just starts launching them at everybody. Yeah. Um. Like, like he just he has a blatant disregard for the rules and for and, and inherently the safety of everybody there at Beach City because all he's doing is just creating this massive tidal wave of of Dave guys and there's no real motivation to do it. There's no real reason as to why, at least clearly that we could see, as to why he wants to do this other than he just wants to do it. And so. Th- Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no. I and justice in um and kind of like that, like being spiteful and everything. I kind of feel like that's how uh, how he was with the cheeseburger, where like I'm sure he knows that Steven's kind of just watching him basically the entire day, trying to like find out what Onion does or what's Onion's plan for the day. And then you know Onion buys his cheeseburger, and Steven even says like, "Oh man, that's a really good cheeseburger," and then he just throws it into the ocean. Yeah, for no and, reason. Well, I'm I'm gonna play your advocate for a second. When you make differential diagnoses, this sort of list of diagnoses that the patient might have, ODD could definitely fit in because, I've, as I mentioned before, you, we still need to sort of interview the patient and talk to them. And some people, they they can be very angry, but the way they process it, it is by sort of holding it in. Mm -hmm. and sort of acting as you're not feeling it, but you really are feeling it. And maybe if we were to interview Onion and and he would sort of tell us, you know, I'm very angry because X and Y in my life and my my dad, and, and this is the way that I act because I'm just angry at people and the world. And then you can sort of repurpose everything that we've seen to fit, yeah. to fit that framework. It could certainly happen, and we do have to keep it in consideration as unlikely as it might seem. Yeah, and that's why that's why I kind of brought up this diagnosis in particular is just because yeah, there is a lot that we don't know about onion and this is I if I if I'm correct, the the first real onion episode that we get um that kind of focuses solely on his character and his character development. So up until this point, we haven't really seen a lot of onion and so I feel like there's maybe there might be some things that are off screen that uh, could potentially you know that involves his behavior be under this uh, categories or under these categories for ODD. Um, but I mean, if we're just solely focusing on the episode and what we see during the episode, then you know, then I ultimately do have to agree that ODD doesn't seem quite like it. But again, like you said, it, it's a matter of just. Um, we would really have to kind of like sit down with Onion and kind of figure out, you know, what's going on in his head. Yeah. And especially because of his age and he's so young that that's why I kind of feel like maybe a conduct disorder might be a little too out of his range. But, um, you know, again, he it, it's fully plausible. So in this situation, what I love to say is 
a lot of times when I get clients who have these diagnoses, it's literally just because they need a diagnosis to get in to the treatment that we do. Um, so I tend to say these these diagnoses are just uh, the def- uh, the definition of oh well he's a teenager, um, oh he's just yeah like ODD what, what's wrong with him he's a teenager he he doesn't want to listen to his parents okay um, conduct disorder like I, I mean unless he's unless you're telling me yeah he's stealing or you know attempting to murder people um, I I just take those diagnoses with a grain of salt. Um, if I'm going back to he's about five years old, then this diagnosis needs to be, uh, I'm not going to get an interview interview with Onion where he's going to be able to express his emotions effectively through words. So we're going to do a lot of play therapy sessions, but where I'm going to get a lot more information is if he's in pre-K, if he's in kindergarten and from his mom or dad, um, so now if we're going to go back to that, so this is me playing devil's advocate that maybe he's just a misunderstood five-year-old. Um, if he has no, this goes back to what I keep saying about Beach City. If there are no <laughs> parents there to teach him right from wrong, Onion's doing what he wants to do because it's fun and nobody's told him that he can't do that. And you don't have a school system to teach him otherwise. Exactly. Like... He doesn't have anybody. He's he's five or six all day long on a pier playing video games. Nobody is watching him. Nobody is supervising him. Um, we don't know if he doesn't eat anything other than chips. Um, we don't we don't know if he's a vegetarian. We don't like we're just making things up. But we also so we don't know where he's learned his sense of right or wrong or if he hasn't learned his sense of right or wrong so if he hasn't learned his sense of right or wrong he doesn't know that oh well maybe you shouldn't uh pop a wheelie on your moped on a whole bunch of a bunch of bags of ketchup in hopes to crash it you don't know that like you shouldn't throw cars at people because guess what if you're five years old your sense of reality is a little skewed so if you see superman throwing cars at the bad guy and the bad guy gets up like nothing guess what i can throw that at somebody who's getting who's pissing me off and they'll be fine Hmm. because we also have to think of where a child is developmentally at five years old Object permanence is where we're going to be talking, are things we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about like their sense of real and unreal. And when we say object permanence, that's that whole thing where children, uh, when you play peekaboo with a baby, they get really, really thrown off by it. And they're really excited because the moment you put your hands behind your, uh, your face behind your hands, you've actually disappeared for them. An object permanence is still kind of new for a five-year-old. Yeah. And so we also have these these two other diagnoses that were the sort of we we can sort of add on, which were kleptomania and selective mutism. And so kleptomania is a disorder where you have these impulses to seal objects, right? But these objects they don't have a personal use for you or a monetary value. It's you're walking down a store and suddenly you get this urge to steal a candy bar, even though you don't necessarily want to eat the candy bar. Uh, you just get this sort of pleasure or gratification 
from stealing it. Let's be real here, though. Who doesn't want to eat a candy bar? Yeah. I can go for a candy bar right now. And but, so, okay, yeah. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I, I, I put my DSM-5 away, and I, I, I feel like you should know this answer anyway. Um, so kleptomania, is that part of the paraphilia sections? Hmm, n- not that I remember. Okay. Great. Now, now you made me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make you look bad. Yeah. Um, so we will get back to everybody on that. I'll. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. Some somebody remind me later to put it in the show notes. I re- will I re- do. Yeah. So um, he steals items of no apparent value, which are the the chips and the guy figure. And the guy figure sort of checks out because when Stephen approaches him and asks him, "Ah, I, I see that you like guy f- figures." He doesn't really react, and he's confused, and he probably doesn't know what that toy line is all about. So yeah. he just stole it for maybe the the sort of gratification of stealing something. And he also steals chips, and he sort of munches on them. So maybe he's stealing it for because he's actually sort of craving it. So that wouldn't fit in. But we've seen him steal things in the past, like tickets, in order to get a scooter which would sort of defeat the purpose of it not being gratifying in any way. So uh, I guess the selective mutism is our last one. So again, these are uh, so the, the kleptomania and the selective mutism would be a diagnosis that can go with another diagnosis or it could stand alone. And he, 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 he refuses to speak. And the only time he will speak is when he speaks to Yellowtail, which then he speaks whatever language Yellowtail speaks. So there is that whole... So it's there's five criteria to distinguish this one. Um, child consistently fails to speak in certain settings. Uh, the problem has lasted at least a month, not including the first month of school. Uh, the issue cannot be fully explained by communication disorder. The condition interferes with child's education or social communication. And the child's silence cannot be uh, attributed to an unfamiliar- unfamiliarity with spoken language. Um, and he meets all those criteria. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I just want to play a little devil's advocate here. Uh, and I, I it's kind of hard really to to try to categorize onion with this diagnosis uh only in the sense that since he does speak to yellowtail then clearly he doesn't he he is familiar with spoken language we just yes. don't know what language it, it is that they're they're speaking um and in terms of his social communication i mean the fact that he yeah you're right he he doesn't really speak to anybody other than his his father and we're i'm gonna go on and assume his mother um but at the same time like he still gets his point across like he knows what he wants and he'll make it known to the person that he's trying to communicate with and for the most part they'll understand what he wants and what he's going after they may not understand the reasoning so much behind it but at least they kind of know because it took a while but steven finally figured out oh he wants the replicator wand so okay so i understand where you're coming from 
But one, if we're going just by this episode alone, we have no clue what his what his family life is like at home. We only seen him with with Yellowtail. Um, if we're going by, so I can under I can if you're going to use my argument of Beach City is a horrible place to raise children because nobody raises children, I will totally agree with you that he does not meet the criteria of. Um, selective mutism because where would he have learned to speak uh english exactly exactly and um sorry and and just uh, one other thing is just we can't really say for sure if he has a communication disorder uh just because that's exactly what we're trying to figure out here with selective mutism here but i feel like because he does we do hear him speak to yellowtail in the the yellowtail language i feel like he doesn't necessarily have a disorder. He doesn't really have a problem speaking. It's just... I, I, I don't know if he necessarily... He only knows the Yellowtail language, and so therefore can only really speak to Yellowtail, who knows it. And his mom, who, uh, at least, you know, I'm assuming since, you know, it's his mom, that she understands the language, that he could speak to her in that language, and she'll understand what he's trying to tell her. But, but again, if we're going off this episode alone... You know, he since he does speak to Yellowtail in their in their language, it it could be possible that that's the only language he does know, which does also further support your uh, your crazy conspiracy theory claim that Beach City is the worst place to raise children in all of whatever wherever they're living. But now, if we're just gonna go based on, so if we're going based on this episode alone, there are many instances where Onion can speak to someone. And he chooses not to, which is where we say, yes, this is selective mutism. Even if, if he, so, and, and I guess the way I would put it is even if you're a child who comes from another country, if you go someplace and you want something, you will speak to that person in your native language, whether you, you may not know if they understand you or not, but you're still going to say like, you want the toy in whatever language you, you, you speak. It's just natural. If you want something, that's how you're going to express it. There, (laughs) Damn it. I hate that I'm going to go into this. So so he, again, we don't see anything about school, but he's still, the the problem seems to have lasted longer than a month because Stephen, every time he talks to, talks to him, there's no, there's no communication. Um, But we also don't know what the timeline is based on the first episode to the 15th episode where we're at. And we also don't get... We don't get the idea that this is different behavior for him. Yeah. If he's suddenly silent, people would notice and they'd start wondering why he's silent now. So, and and the children's, the child's silence cannot be, um, it's not because he's unfamiliar with spoken language. So he, there is spoken language in the home. He will speak it. He chooses not to. And this is where we say selective mutism. So it's it's i don't know it's a lot of it's a lot of things that we can say i mean in all honesty we could even go with another diagnosis as it isn't in here that i i didn't even think to even go into that Mm -hmm. he may be on the spectrum and if Mm. he's on the spectrum then maybe this isn't selective mutism and this is that he only speaks yellowtail and and you know what i didn't even think about it until now but based on Mark's argument now, it can be seen as manding. Mm-hmm. So 
some children who are on the spectrum who do not speak unless they have these PIX books that help them express how they, uh, what they need, they will man things. So they sort of kind of grunt towards an object. And, and I don't want to go into f full details because I'm actually still very new to it. And it's something that I'm actually just starting to learn. But yeah, so it could be seen as manding. But again, he doesn't even do that. There's no real, like, there's no grunting. There's no sounds that come from him whatsoever. He'll point to something and he'll keep pointing to that thing until somebody says, oh, is that what you wanted? And then he'll nod. And so, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps up uh, onion trade, right? You just want to get off this topic. <laughs> really? You're telling uh, the guy who loves psychiatry to, that he wants to stop talking about psychiatric diagnoses. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna make you go back and look at this with uh, the DSM diagnoses for autism spectrum disorder and see if you see anything. You know, uh, I'll do that and I'll write it on the forum okay. at the post for this episode because I do think that's an interesting uh, thing you're you're positing. So yeah. I will definitely check it out. Also. Okay. Um, kleptomania is an impulse control disorder. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not looking this up in the internet. It's completely out of my memory. Yeah. It includes substance-related disorders, behavioral addictions, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, conduct disorder, and some mood disorders. And yeah, that was completely from my brain and not Wikipedia. Go you. You, you want to know what's funny is that I was gonna try and transition to uh, the sword fighter episode about like twelve minutes ago when we started talking <laughs> about. Um, I, I forgot it was about you guys were mentioning something about uh, I can't I can't quite remember now because I got so heated about being a devil's advocate. Um, <laughs> but I, I remember we were, we were talking about uh, something and you guys were talking about something like disappearing or being gone or. I, I forgot what exactly was going on there, but I was gonna try to interject with a joke and be like, "You want to know who does disappear? Pearl," and then transition into the episode. But then I knew we would have just gone right back into it, kind of like what we did with uh, the <laughs> Stevens Lion episode, yeah. where I tried, I tried to transition, and that didn't work. Okay, all right. So try it out, Steven the Sword Fighter. So, um... Synopsis, go. Alright, so Steven and the Swordfighter. So the episode kind of begins with... Uh, I, what is it? I believe it's a game, right? It's a movie. Uh, Lonely Blade. Is it? Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't remember if it started with that movie or if there was... What am I think? What episode am I thinking about where they're playing chess and Steven drops the water balloon on them? Is that was that an earlier episode? I really don't remember. I don't remember. That's not this episode, though. Okay. Anyway, so they're they're watching the Lonely Blade movie, and Stephen is so enthralled by the sword moves that uh, the main character in Lonely Blade uh, uses. Uh, the most notable is the boomerang blade. And so Steven is talking about uh, talking about this and how he really wishes he could do these sword moves. And Pearl interjects and says that 
like these aren't real techniques. Like if like she, and she tells Steven boomerang that if you ever want I I said boomerang blade. That was it. I was trying to remember. It was like what the heck was Okay, boomerang blade. Okay. Sorry. I'm on the same page now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Disregard that, Mark. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Pearl offers to teach Steven uh, actual sword fighting moves if he really wanted to and she barely even finishes her sentence before he gets all star eyed and looks at her like please show me and she even questions like right now and he's just like yes so they go to this training ground they warp to the training ground I should say where she then creates a hollow pearl who can also be uh, used as a uh, practice dummy for sword fighting. And so she starts going through the basics, and Steven at first is really, really excited, but then he starts losing interest because he sees that Pearl's actually teaching him how to sword fight, like actual techniques, actual beginner stuff, so that way Steven could be a, a, a sword fighter. But all he's really interested in is seeing the boomerang blade. And it's because he starts uh, chanting boomerang blade over and over again. Pearl gets distracted. And ultimately, her own hollow pearl stabs her right in the chest. And initially, uh, Steven is very mortified. He's very in shock. And, all th- and Garnet and Amethyst are just like, oh no. Like they're 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 like oh no that that sucks but they they don't seem like too bothered by it and then even Pearl says tries to reassure Stephen like oh no no it's gonna be all right like this is and then she poofs and then she's gone and all that's left is her gem so Stephen is obviously very distraught because he thinks Pearl is dead and it's all because he just wanted to see the boomerang blade but then Garnet and Amethyst. Reassure him that she's fine. She's. Uh, they explain that when a gem gets badly, uh, body gets badly damaged, they'll retreat to their gem to regenerate, and then they'll be back. So Stephen then eagerly asks when she'll return, and then two weeks go by, and the house is a mess, uh, and he even resorts to keeping the gem in like this little bowl with a blanket and he has like a, a a heating lamp on it to keep her gem warm almost as if she was like an egg or something and ultimately he turns to the hollow pearl to kind of seek this missing parental guidance that pearl offered him uh it doesn't always it doesn't turn out well and ultimately has to use the basic techniques that pearl was trying to show him to uh, combat the the hollow pearl who thinks of him as a sparring partner and then of course in the very end after Steven manages to defeat the hollow pearl and right when Steven's about to state his big lesson that he learned Pearl returns in a brand new uh, outfit I guess you could say or brand, she's she's she her appearance is completely changed and it ends with uh, Steven saying, Never mind, Pearl's back. And then she asks why the room's dirty. And that's the end. So I'm going to put my uh, 
medical student pants on and say my professional opinion is that Pearl is awesome and that that fight scene with her hollow Pearl is amazing and Pearl is awesome thank you I'm glad you think I'm awesome I'm Pearl I got Pearl on the quiz yeah but we all we've all said that I'm Pearl fine (laughs) Pearl would make the notes I'm just saying I'll give that to you but Pearl also doesn't sleep so so when I made this this um the notes for this episode there's not really a lot of psychological themes in it what we do see is that once Pearl is out of the picture pretty much the whole house goes uh it, it just turns into a huge mess right and that's because Pearl is the one person in the house who's sort of given the job to take care of it. Well, and She's the only one who wants to clean. Yeah, exactly. So whenever she's not there, everything, you know, just there's anarchy everywhere and everything's a mess. And so I, I was wondering, Kat, uh, have you ever had a situation where one of the parents is no longer in the picture and they've had to adapt to that. So, um, I've had situations where either a a parent has uh, died or a parent has left or a parent has gotten very, very ill and that parent was the one who was the, who was sort of Pearl, who was the one who kept the house neat and tidy, kept the kids on a schedule, who... And now we have another parent who is, um, so one thing that we tend to see is when it comes to parenting, there's usually a parent who is the parent. Um, they're the ones who do all the, um, you know, they stay up for homework, they take care of the kid when they're sick, um, they are not a dis- they may not be the disciplinarian um but they are the one who uh enforces rules um and then the other parent is the provider so the other parent um their goal their role in the family is literally just to provide so they're the ones to make sure the bills are paid they're the ones to make sure that there's a roof over the head things like that um and what ends up happening is when the perv- when the parent person um, becomes enabled or becomes disabled or dies or leaves, now be- now the person who is the provider who's actually never parented um, has to take in that role, and they don't know how to. And this is where we have added stress. Um, because they have their standard role, which they know of being the provider, but now they also have to parent. Um, and that parenting aspect is the part that they can't grasp. Um, and I hate to say it again this way, is just parenting is a 24-hour job, seven days a week, and the provider is you are a provider while you're at work. Um, and so when they have to kind of jump into that uh, this new position they find out that they're working j- double hard for not the same pay um and it's a l- it's it's very stressful for the family um we have to help gr- the family grieve 
because it's it's you're grieving the loss of a parent you're grie grieving the loss of a provider you're grieving the loss of some freedom um, we have to help them reorganize we have to help them um, restructure and the same stress that the parents are on the kids are on double because they don't understand where that loss is like how that loss happened um, and again, depending on the age of a child, understanding death is a whole new concept that they have to get used to. Um, so those are, those are some of my harder cases. Those really are because there's, there's a lot that has to be unwrapped and usually very, very quickly. And I guess the, the crystal gems and Steven are lucky that they know that she's coming back and they sort of. Let rest on their laurels because they know as soon as she comes back, um, she's the one who's going to take up the role again. Well, and one of the things I liked about the episode was it was a good, a somewhat good way to explain loss to a child. Um, but I don't f like that's also where I feel that they slipped. Like they could have taken more time to explain to Steven. Like, she really has to repair herself. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know how long it's going to be. We don't, you know, because there are going to be children who, who experience loss in different ways. And this is more of that situation of instead of, like, the parent is dead, the parent has to go to the hospital for a while. Yeah. Um, and the kid doesn't know how long it's going to take for them to come back from the hospital. The kid doesn't know uh, what's going to happen. Um, yeah. when the parent comes back, but something different will be, will have happened, mm -hmm. which is greatly explained by Pearl looking different when she comes back. Um, you know, she was away, she got injured, she went away, she healed and she came back, uh, same Pearl, but just a little different, which again, in that aspect, they did a really good job of kind of explaining in a juvenile way what a child would expect when if their parent got sick but i think they could have done just a little bit more yeah i, I agree with that they sort of assumed steven would be just as okay with it as they are because they've been through it before but they don't understand that steven is sort of new to all this yeah and it would have been nice to sort of explain the whole process and sort of give him a plan of what he can do while she's away and keep him busy that's something we see from them throughout many episodes it's very much they're like well this is what happens because we're crystal gems see ya <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you figure it out on your own um and and i think part of it is their expectation that as a gem they are born with innate knowledge yeah um and they expect Steven to have that innate knowledge also um, because again they didn't grow up to be who they are they literally just came out of the earth that way yeah so the knowledge that they have is the knowledge that was passed on from generations to generations through them um, and so they're kind of doing that whole like well Steven should know this because he's a gem like okay Steven's also part human and he was a baby, so babies learn. So yeah, I think that wraps it up for 
sword fighter i don't think we have do we have anything more to add to that uh i did want to add um for for those people that uh love easter eggs um when pearl reforms um when she's her when her actual form starts showing um you, if you look initially right like she goes through like these like little form changes before finally showing her actual new appearance mm -hmm. but that very first human like or uh, humanoid like form that appears if you know if you remember from the, the pilot it's the same exact design that she had then mm -hmm. so what we can assume is that the mul the numerous changes that pearl had underwent right before her final appearance could have been potentially forms that she had taken prior which shows how many times she's been poofed ever since her uh creation yeah yeah just a little easter egg for those that really enjoy those or uh really like to look deep into an episode I, i'm gonna have to go back to that because i so she looks more avian in that first yeah okay and that first one, she looks like the design and yeah. the the form itself looks very similar to uh, her pilot appearance. Okay, I had to I got to double check that right now. Okay, yeah. I remember reading about that and I was blown away. And then I remember going back and rewatching it and seeing it side by side, and I was like, oh, oh, ah. cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, just about wraps it up for us here today. Um, so I just want to say thanks, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in to our podcast. Uh, it really does mean a lot. Um, if you guys do enjoy the content here, please uh, make sure you guys uh, leave us a nice, uh, nice beefy review on Apple Podcasts, and uh, feel free to leave a comment as well. Also, if you want to join in on our, on our discussions, you can always check out the uh, Geek Therapy forums. Um, that is forums.geektherapy.com, and we're always see, willing to chat. We we are willing to chat about autism. You can get some like extras, behind the scenes, special features in this post. I was gonna say, we're, wait, we're doing a behind oh. the scenes. Um, I excuse you. I, I didn't. I didn't sign up for that because I'm not editing that. No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't consent to this. This wasn't on the waiver. In writing. Okay. Oh yes. Behind the scenes in writing. Yes. Yeah. Um, which if you which... would like, to, if you would like a glimpse into our brainstorming sessions when we're coming up with these things, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes below, and you know just just reach out to us if you have any questions in terms of what we have discussed in an episode if you just want to uh tell us you know give us any feedback you know feel free to talk to us on twitter or on the forums or you know just even leaving a comment in apple Podcasts. honestly those reviews and those uh little ratings they mean a lot they they do help us out a lot and we would really appreciate that as well as checking out all the other podcasts within the Geek Therapy Network, such as Geek Therapy Radio, Headshot, Psych Tech, Jedi Council. There's a whole lot of them. GFT. Yes. <laughs> of course, GFT. Don't forget GFT. Never. Uh, but Which is yeah. on hiatus, but that's okay. It'll come back. <laughs> it's brewing for a comeback. Yes. Unlike Luke Cage. Oh. Rip in peace. Oh, dude. Too soon, too soon. Okay, so good night, all from all of us to all of you.
Yep, have a good night, everybody. Or a good day if it's daytime when you're listening to it. Or Bye. good morning if it's morning time. Peace. Bye.